Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, out here in the studios of Cafe Fairfax, and we will be back right after this with Susan Weed. Welcome. Forbidden Archaeology. Forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. of Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Ms. Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder, co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network. And as you can hear... Oh, kind of was reaching across the drum kit there. We're in the studios of Cafe Fairfax, where we originally started doing episodes of Main Street Universe, myself and Mrs. Kevin Baird. And uh, so sometimes that means, unfortunately for some, unfortunately for others, that I'm near a drum kit. To accent a point, but of course I don't do that on this show. <laughs> so anyway, I see Susan is in the queue, and I'm going to go ahead and bring her on. Welcome, Susan. Is that because this show needs no accent? <laughs> That's right. It's already exciting enough. <laughs> uh, well, I'm very excited that we're back where you started. How delightful. Yeah, we have you know, a. I, oh, sorry. <laughs> I'll say yeah, we have a studio at the house, uh, outside. We we converted a shed into a studio, and we used to do this show, our first Main Street Universe show. At the same time, I lived with two Unitarian ministers. Where, where at the same time they were having like a quiet Unitarian minister meeting inside, so we just couldn't do the radio show in there. So we used to do it out here, but sometimes signal issues and da da da. But now we got a better computer out here, so everything's cool. So. I kind of like doing it out here again. It's fun to revisit that. So you're outside? Outside in a, in a, in a studio with a shed um, converted into a studio. But sometimes we will be, out, we will be outside, too. Like if on a nice day, we'd walk outside if there wasn't too heavy of a breeze, you know, across the, the microphones or the phone or something like that. <laughs> Neat! <laughs> I like that oh. a lot. <laughs> We took down the teepee this weekend. 
The time comes every year at the Wise Woman Center where it is time to take the teepee down because we don't live in it, and without a heat source in the teepee over the winter, it's just really hard on it. And as we were taking the teepee down, I saw that there was a lobelia in Flata. Are you familiar with the herb lobelia? I am not. The gardeners listening to the show are going to go, oh, yeah, lobelia. I like that. I grow lobelia. It has really pretty, like, kind of ooh, indigo, bluey, purpley um, flowers. Yeah, and, and that, that is a lobelia. That's a cultivated lobelia. But the lobelia that I'm talking about is the wild lobelia. The Lobelia inflata. And it's called inflata because it has seed pods that look like balloons or little inflated things. So it's inflata, the Lobelia that's inflated. Now, we're not talking a very big plant. If you're familiar with the cultivated lobelias, they're not really big either, although they're often put into um, baskets and they uh, grow in a kind of trailing, hanging way. That um, And they, ha- they do have a lot of flowers for a small plant, so they're very pretty. The wild lobelia inflata also has small flowers, and they're a pale, pale blue, purple. They're in that same kind of indigo shade, but really pale. So pale, it can be pretty easy to overlook them. Although, again, there's a lot of flowers for a very small plant. And part of the reason for that is it's an annual plant, and it needs to make a lot of seeds so that it can be sure that it'll get a chance next year to grow again. And those inflated seed pods, which contain, they can contain hundreds of thousands of seeds, each one of those seed pods, of course, attracted the attention of a great many people. Now, I want to tell you a story about how I first came to know this plant. I was living pretty roughly, I'd been living in it while I was building a house of my own, and that was my hand-built house, and um, working in my garden and going to work. So I was doing all of these things, and I'd get up in the morning, and I'd go out and work in the garden, and then I'd work on my house, and then I'd go to work, and then I'd get my daughter from school. And she usually took the bus into into school, and then I'd get her, and we'd come home after work and make something to eat and um, maybe go back out to the garden. But on this particular day, I saw this plant in the garden, kind of a small plant, and I had never seen it before. Now, that was not really big news because there Quite a few plants at that point that I would say I had never seen before. But this was a gar- in the garden. And I figured I knew what all the weeds in the garden were by that time. I had been gardening for eight or nine years at that point. So I really thought I had it down on the garden weeds. And so I picked a leaf of this plant and I chewed on it. 
it looked like maybe it was a mint. Now, nowadays, I would never say it even looked anything at all like a mint. But then I did kind of think it looked like a mint. And at first, it didn't have any flavor. And as I continued to chew it, this kind of peppery, hot, outrageous taste began to just permeate my mouth and my my throat and, and my ears and my sinuses and my head. And I thought, oh, my goodness, what have I done? Right? Am, am I going to be okay? And the, the effect, although very noticeable, um, went away pretty fast, or so I thought. At any rate, I went to work. And at that point, the store that where I was working, the health food store where I was working, um, was putting in an herb department. As a matter of fact, for um, some years, that was a good part of my income was to go from place to place and to help stores put in herb departments. So this involved my ordering herbs and then unpacking those herbs and putting them in containers and putting them on the shelf. And this was a day where the herb orders had come in, and I was unpacking them, opening them up, smelling them, handling them. And this was not something that was new to me. I had done this a lot in many places. But it was totally different this day. It was as though I was understanding the plants through my senses rather than through my mind. Like many people, especially many people in our culture, I had been trained and taught to approach everything with my mind. I want to know about herbs. I'm going to read about herbs. I'm going to think about herbs. And I'm going to get herbs with my mind. And suddenly I was having a physical experience of the plants. I was having a sensory experience of the plants. It wasn't just that I was smelling them. It wasn't just that there was enough in the air that I was tasting them. It wasn't just that I had my hands on them. It was as though I was having an intimate exchange with another living being. And I suddenly realized that the plants were sentient beings. And that even in their dried states, just as we can go to a graveyard, just as we can look at a mummy, and just as we can feel something about the life that was there just by the form that's left... Even in handling those dried herbs, I was getting intimations and understandings of the plants themselves. Well, I wondered if maybe it had anything to do with that leaf I had eaten that morning because it had made quite the impression on me. And so you know what I did. I went back to my garden the very next day that I was due to go into the store and work and ate another leaf from that plant and wham! Same thing happened at first, nothing much, just like eating an ordinary leaf. And then ah, this tremendous, like, poof, 
energy, like mom, going off in my my sinuses and my head and my eyes, and then that effect, and pretty much leaving. And again, I went to the store to work with the herbs, and the same experience happened. This has become one of my favorite plants for introducing people to the green nations, to the realm of the green beings, to that dancing green woman that we sing about and sing to. Now, the leaf is actually pretty strong. What I talk about now when I'm out with a group of people is the flower. Of course, here in November, it is long past the flower of Lobelia inflata, but that's the part that I usually encourage people to experiment with, to take off a single flower. Remember, these are tiny flowers. You could The, the flower wouldn't even cover your, your thumbnail. You could probably put four flowers on your thumbnail. They're small. And people look at me like, yeah, right, I'm going to eat this flower, and that's going to like open my mind to the plants. Okay, maybe this is like wishful thinking, and they eat it. And, of course, at first, nothing, nothing, nothing. And then suddenly you see their eyes getting wider and the, the, the energy of this land starting to really come on. And I usually pick on the fairest person in the group and, and have everybody look at this fair person because I'm a really fair person. You can see the blood flow moving up, up through the throat, up through the chin, the cheeks, the nose, the eyebrows, and right up the forehead. And they even say they can feel it on the very top of their skull. Most students who've eaten a single Abelia flower say that the effect lasts very strongly for about an hour and to a lesser degree for four to eight hours, depending on how sensitive you are and where you are, and that eating it in subsequent times, it lasts longer because you have more proficiency or more understanding about the plant itself. Now, Lobelia inflata has a lot of common names. The use I've just described for it is an extremely uncommon use for it. It's really my use for it, and I know I don't think anybody else who really uses it that way. And Lobelia inflata, however, is also called Indian tobacco. And as Indian tobacco, it was pretty famous and still has some uses in modern medicine. Lobelia can be fairly rich in alkaloids. And it is often for that reason listed among lists of poisonous plants. Pukeweed is another name for it. And of course that follows rather upon it being listed as a poisonous plant, right? It's right up here with the night Shade and jessamine and golden seal and foxglove and ergot and um, castor oil and things that, that really will, in fact, quite make you absolutely sick, if not kill you. But 
Notilobelia so far as I can tell. Now, pukeweed um, gives us another kind of hint into how lobelia might be considered useful. And that's right. That's to make people throw up. Now, if you're going, huh? Wait a second. How would it be useful to make people throw up? Well, we might say, okay, suppose somebody had taken a poison and we want to make them throw up. Yes, that's true. But remember that the heroic tradition, herbalism, the heroic tradition of medicine, believes in the humoral theory. And the humoral theory says that we get sick because there are bad things in the humors of our body. And that one way to make the humors be pure and good and clear again is to make the person puke, to make them throw up, was considered an actual way to heal in previous centuries. So pukeweed was considered a valuable medicinal plant because it made people puke. A short-term example of that could be even um, you drink too much alcohol, guess what? The body's going to go, look, the only way I can see of this working for, out for us without getting worse, we're getting rid of it. <laughs> You're throwing up. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> so I have um, a book here, a very nice herbal put by Reader's Digest, believe it or not, called Magic and Medicine of Plants. And it's very well done, beautifully illustrated with both drawings and photographs of the plants. And it says, beware the harmless-looking, pretty, blue-flowered plant known as Indian tobacco. It is poisonous, according to the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. American Indians first used the plant by smoking its leaves, hence its name, Indian tobacco. They found that smoking the leaves would relieve asthma and all lung ailments. The American herbalist Samuel Thompson thought the plant was a cure-all, and he brought it into prominence early in the 19th century. He continued to advocate its use even after he was charged with killing one of his patients with it. Thompson and his followers administered Indian tobacco not only as a remedy for respiratory disorders, but for relief of convulsions to aid childbirth and as an emetic, in other words, as pukeweed. Scientific analysis shows that Lobelia inflata contains alkaloids, especially lobeline, which can relax muscles. In recent years, Indian tobacco has gained popularity among members of the counterculture who have smoked it or brewed it into tea. However, we suggest that you avoid this plant as an overdose can result in paralysis, coma, and death. Again, no one in the medical literature or in the herbal literature anywhere has ever actually died that I know of from using a lobelia. And, and as it says, Thompson and his followers, and there were hundreds of them, put lobelia in flata in 
every herbal remedy they used. Every herbal remedy, not just for lung problems, not just for asthma, not just for allergies, not just for for problems, for anything. Lobelia was said to activate and potentize. Historically, it continues, Lobelia is a respiratory aid, and the alkaloid lobeline has been found to be scientifically effective against asthma. That's a rather odd statement, isn't it? Because an alkaloid can't be against asthma, which is a kind of condition. However, I think what they mean is that lobeline has a direct effect on the lungs and the ability of the lungs to get oxygen into the blood. In fact, what I have found in using tincture of lobelia in flata, the whole plant in flower, is that it almost forces oxygen into the blood, and it works really excellently in cases where we're looking at people who for some reason don't have enough oxygen in their blood, which could be asthma, it could be um, allergies that cause distress in the breathing system, it can be carbon monoxide poisoning, it can be a variety of reasons why oxygen isn't getting into the blood enough, and lobelia does indeed seem to have a powerful ability to use that, to do that. Now, Notice that I mentioned that I make a tincture of the fresh flowering plant, and I do that before it makes seed pots. The seeds are considered the pukiest part. In other words, the part that is most likely to make you throw up is indeed the seeds. Now, I went out Early one morning. I don't usually get up early. Early is not my time, and I do my best to avoid it. But for some reason, I took somebody out on an early walk, and we found some lobelia. And I ate a lobelia leaf on a completely empty stomach. And that lobelia leaf hit my stomach and started bouncing up and down like a boomerang. That was the only time that I had eaten any part of the lobelia that I really thought I was going to puke. I didn't, but I did think that that was, was going to happen. I, she offered me, she saw that I looked a little weird. She offered me something to eat. I ate, I think, some cantaloupe, and I felt absolutely fine. But the seeds, apparently, will really make you puke. And the Thomsonian herbalists generally made... Lobelia seed in apple cider vinegar. I have the desk reference to nature's medicine by Stephen Foster, one of my favorite herbalists, and Rebecca Johnson. I don't know Rebecca. Lobelia. A quick glance at some of Lobelia's common names, such as pukeweed, gagwort, and vomitweed, reveals this to be an herb with powerful emetic properties. Large doses induce vomiting. Lobelia was a traditional Native American remedy for many conditions, especially those in the bronchia. It is smoked to quiet the spasms of asthma and bronchitis and as a tobacco substitute to break the tobacco habit. 
At least four Lobelia species are used medicinally by North American tribes, and they introduced it to the European settlers. During the 19th century, Lobelia was one of the most widely prescribed of all American herbs primarily used to induce vomiting. In the 1970s, the herb's popularity was renewed when it gained a reputation for producing feelings of mental clarity. Because of its toxic effects on the central nervous system, Lobelia's use in modern herbal medicine is limited. Lobelia contains more than a dozen alkaloids with a lobeline, which is a cousin of nicotine, being the most active. Like nicotine, lobeline initially stimulates and then depresses the central nervous system. Lobeline activates nicotine-like receptors in the brain, exerting physiological activity similar to nicotine but without its addictive effects. Experiments have indicated that lobelia's toxicity is enhanced when combined with nicotine. And clinical studies evaluating the herb for smoking cessation do not support its use if the people are going to be smoking tobacco. Research into other aspects of lobeline has shown that the alkaloid accelerates respiration and acts as a bronchodilator, thus making breathing easier. And remember the other book that said the lobeline counters asthma, and I said probably not. It probably acts on the bronchia, and here indeed we have the research showing us that in, it, it does act as a bronchodilator and increases respiration. Lobelia extracts were formerly injected as resuscitation treatments for asphyxia in infants and cessation of breathing in adults. There were side effects, however. Preparations from the whole leaf show that lobelia is an effective antispasmodic. In precise, appropriate doses, lobelia is quite safe when administered by qualified practitioners. But small overdoses can slow respiration and drastically lower blood pressure. Large overdoses, as little as 50 milligrams of the dried herb, can lead to severe nausea, vomiting, stupor, convulsions, and fatal respiratory failure. Now you know why your store is not selling Lobelia. Right. <laughs> and yet, a hundred years ago, you could not have run an herbal pharmacy without Lobelia. Isn't that an interesting change? Absolutely. And an herb that was considered indispensable. Couldn't do without it. Put it in everything. A panacea is now considered too dangerous to be used. Can I ask, uh, is it common to have a safe, whatever considered publicly safe, you know, is what I mean, um, uh, a tincture of this? I've never seen, like, a tincture bottle that has said Lobelia before. Uh, I'm not saying it's not out there. I'm just, I'm just curious. Have you seen one? Or I know you said you make one. <clears throat> Exactly. Lobelia is an annual plant 
that grows where I live. I have a long relationship with it. I've had a relationship with Lobelia for almost 50 years. It first right. appeared to me, and it really opened the fairy gates to me. I use it in tiny amounts. I might eat one to three flowers per year. Mm. Very small amounts. Yes, I have a tincture of it in case, and it actually did happen that my son-in-law, who's a chef instructor at the Culinary Institute, was in a new classroom, and the gas connection to the stove had not been made well, and there were, the room filled up with carbon monoxide, and he actually got carbon monoxide poisoning, and I had some lobelia tincture on hand, and I was very glad that I had made it. Yeah. But that's being an herbalist, isn't it, that you make odd things, just like when you're a musician. You might have some interesting instruments. That's right. <laughs> That you only play now and then, but you're a musician, so you like having those interesting instruments. And I'm an herbalist, so I like having a few interesting, deadly herbs in my possession. Right. And I'm being facetious when I say deadly, as as they say. It, it talks about, you know, overdoses can kill you, but there aren't any reports of anybody ever actually dying. Yeah, people, there are certainly reports of people going into coma. But also, what a homeopathic proving of the herb, because remember it said that in injectable form, it was used to bring people back from states of near death. Lobelia, this is an interesting herb. Lobelia inflata. Look for it next year if you live in the northeast. See if Lobelia comes to you. Hmm. And once again, we have talked away half an hour. Yes, we have. And I want to remind everybody that your book page is linked to here for Susan Weed's book on this show page, what I call the marquee page with the rotating pictures and the and the and the, the link page. So you can visit her bookstore. And I want to thank you very much again for joining us, Susan Weed, with another very informative half hour, as always. You are welcome. Green blessings are everywhere because herbal medicine is people's medicine. The kind that grows right outside of your front door. That's so right. Thank you. Even though you can go to the store and buy it, too. Hooray. For choices. <laughs> well, Belia might be harder to find, though, right? <laughs> it might indeed. Uh, maybe I'll check it out and next week. I'll see if there are places where you can actually purchase Lobelia. But again, you know, <clears throat> it's not not usually how I use it. How I use it is right there with the plant, a tiny amount of the plant when we're outside, so that we can hear the plants, be present, and really take part in the amazing wisdom of the Green Nations. All right. Okay. And I like to also, when you call, and one final note, when you call to Indian Tobacco, because my Cherokee friend, uh, Laramie, said tobacco is another communication plant. You know, he says they use it for it, telling a plant what, what, what it what, what it does, you know, so it's a, it's interesting. They, there's certain plants that help you communicate with other plants. They have a communicative quality to them. Exactly. 
All right. Well, thank you so much again. And I want to remind everyone, you're listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine, with your hostess, Susan Weed. I'm Daniel Michael, the founder co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network. And we'll be back next week at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. Normally we end with Blessed Are We, but this I'm going to end with one of my songs. Uh, we have maybe before, but I was just in the mood. And then our plug. And this is I Will Find You Again with our little fiddle solo from Nina. We are going to be at the Caldera Festival, our band Dragon's Head, next spring with Tawatha D and Wendy Rule and so many other great bands. I'm looking forward to meeting them all, Kellyanna, Jenna Green, and so many. There's about 30 bands being at this place. This one is my band. We're going to be there, too, at the Lafayette Farms in Georgia in the spring, and this song is I Will Find You Again. Off of our song, <coughs> album Songs of the New Old Ways. Have a great evening, everybody. Yeah.
forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. <laughs> 